Hi, I'm Lena Christensen, and you're listening to the Edison Diaries entry what? Entry what? Just entry number one? <laughs> yeah, I should write this down. Log. Why log? Yeah, but if you don't like it, we can drop it. So you have shaped, effectively shaped the intro of every podcast from now till forever. Awesome. Once more, just in case. Okay, okay. Hi, I'm Lena Christensen, and you're listening to Edison Diaries Entry Log Number One. Hi, and a very warm welcome to the first ever Edison Diary. My name is Michal, and together with my colleagues from the Edison Council, we're taking on a new assignment, a new challenge, a new medium, the podcast. We are very excited to open with a very special guest here today, our very own Lene Christiansen. Lene is sure right, but she's very serious about business. She's firm in believing that being sustainable and being good to the environment can be a successful business model. Moreover, she says that in the future, it will be the only way to go. We got a real business hippie right here. She started in LM Wynn in 2007 in the Office of Corporate Communications. Over the years, she published a lot of news, a lot of stories, but she was really waiting for the next big headline. She followed her passion and led LM to the Carbon Neutrality Pledge in 2016. Now, she's taking it a step further. She's guiding G Renewable to be carbon neutral by 2020, right in time for the elections. Born in Korea, raised a Dane, but it's certain that she's a world citizen. She's a mother of two, but still manages to find a free time. Like a proper Dane, she loves jogging, even on work trips. She calls it side jogging. I don't know when, but she really loves to read. I hope you're hungry because her latest book recommendation is The Donut Economy by Kate Raworth. Unexpectedly, for a sustainability leader, she's very bad with plants and owns only cacti. But what I know for sure is that I really, really enjoy talking to her and I hope you will enjoy too. Hi Lene, thank you for joining us in the first of the hopefully multiple series of the Edison Diaries podcast show. Hope you are ready. So I'm totally ready and thank you for having me as your first guest. Let's do it. We are first coming to something that we call a flash round. I will give you a couple of options and you will have to quickly give me the answer just to get us going. Okay. TV or a book? TV. TV shows or movies? Movies. Movies or Netflix? (laughs) That's a silly one. I can't choose. <laughs> I would watch movies on Netflix, but I also watch series, actually. Breakfast, sweet or savory? Sweet. Soup or sandwich? Soup or sandwich? Soup or sandwich? Oh, soup! <laughs> I'm sorry, I thought, you said, I thought you said a soup or sandwich. No, soup or sandwich. Okay, soup, for sure. Gluck or snaps? Gluck. Do you work hard or you rather play hard? Is that allowed? <laughs> Both. Meat or vegetables? Vegetables. Plane or a bus? Bus. You really are a carbon neutrality leader. I try. <laughs> Leading by example. Yeah, of course. Uh, while you're walking, music or podcast? Podcast. Excellent then. Let's get it rolling. Please tell me, what is your story? How did you end up here? 
And what keeps you busy? So I have the most exciting job in all of renewable energy, I think. So I'm today I'm leading a company-wide program to take the whole, all of renewable energy carbon neutral in a very short timeline, so end 2020. And I'm reporting to the CTO in that role, Daniel Murfeld, whom I, I'm sure all the Edisons will certainly know. And my path to that job has been quite special, I think, because I have a background in communications originally. So I started actually my career in LM Wind Power, one of the renewable energy businesses, and worked in the corporate communications function there, sort of working my way up. It was my first job. I came in writing stories for the company's internal and external channels. So I really got to know the company quite well. And over the years, my role sort of expanded to cover other uh, parts of corporate communications. So I've also worked with media, uh, you know, talking to journalists and pitching stories do you know branding uh, all sorts of things that is within a, a typical uh, corporate communications function but then i've always the side of that had a well a very strong passion for sustainability so even when i joined my first question to the interview was like so why don't you talk about sustainability on your website you're a, a company making wind turbine blades that's all about sustainability you know, they were like, well, we just didn't get around to it. You're welcome to do it. Just, you know, just develop that. It's great. We definitely want it. And so I've sort of done that on the side of things, of course, communicating about it as part of my job, but also trying to challenge the company to do more, to adopt more sustainable practices. We were a group of employees constantly challenging the, uh, the leadership. Can we do more? Can we take more of our own medicine? And then combined with some, well, some pressure and some motivation from the owners back then, it was a private equity company, but they firmly believed in sustainability as a strong driver for business success. That sort of helped to get us to a point where we could announce that LM Wind Power should go carbon neutral in 2016, or they, that was when we made the announcement, and then we went carbon neutral in 2018. And in the meantime, G Renewable Energy had bought LM Wind Power. And uh, I think it's fair to say that they were quite inspired because LM Wind Power went carbon neutral while growing uh, revenue and profitability. So it wasn't you know, something that cost the company extra money. On the contrary, we actually saved money on the uh, carbon neutral drive. In uh, 2018, our CEO of Renewable Energy announced that all of Renewable Energy should go carbon neutral. And I was so privileged to be asked to uh, to lead that. So that's where we are. Awesome. Sounds like it's a win-win situation. I hope so. <laughs> There's a lot to do for sure. Can you tell us more about what is carbon neutrality? Where do we start accounting for the emissions that yes. we make? Carbon neutrality, sort of the, the definition, is about balancing the emissions you have from your operations with an equal amount of reductions and offsets. And that's how you achieve a net zero impact. So we're addressing the emissions that we can influence directly. So we want to be a carbon neutral business and that involves addressing the emissions from transportation of materials to our own sites and to project sites. It's the energy we consume in our own facilities and in our vehicles, for instance. It's the electricity we purchase, it's the employee commuting and it's the waste we generate and it's business travel. So it's quite a comprehensive scope, but it doesn't cover the full value chain of, of our products. It's only the, our operational carbon footprint, but that's also quite a comprehensive task looking at seven different businesses um, all over the world. So it's exciting and rewarding and fantastic that we have so many involved people who will help us deliver this goal. I bet it is. You say we are covering all phases, high level to low level of 
uh, impact, including the employees themselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, so the main work streams from what we're going to drive from the very, very small core team, we're three people working full time on this. And then we have P&L leads assigned to support, but they have day jobs as well. right? So we will need to engage the entire organization and there will be different levels and ways of engaging. So what we're driving from the core team are two main work streams around energy efficiency. So we're going to look at our main or our biggest sites, the ones that use most uh, energy and try to optimize that. We're going to get some external help to really scrutinize how they how they use energy and try to reduce it as much as possible because that will also give us cost savings. So that's a huge part of delivering this program and this result in a cost-efficient way. So we're actually quite confident that we can find savings that more than compensate for whatever cost we will need for, for instance, switching to renewables in those markets where that comes with a premium and for the offsetting at the end uh, of the program sort of activity, right? But then uh, the, the switch to renewables in itself is quite a uh, comprehensive work stream because that involves looking at where can we install something on site. It could be solar panels on the rooftop, on parking lots. Where can we buy um, power directly from a wind farm, for instance, powered by GE turbines, ideally? Um, where can we or can't we do any of this and we will then need to buy certificates renewable energy certificates which can you know that you can always do right and it's a completely legitimate way of greening your electricity supply but we just have a preference for the other options so we will work with the sites to see where can we actually install something on site it would be great to have a wind turbine for instance uh, as well great showcase but it's it's actually quite complicated so part of what we're doing is is actually really taking our own medicine in every sense of the word so what our customers go through is also what we are are exposing ourselves to as part of this exercise and and that's going to strengthen customer conversations i'm sure i'm sure we will actually learn something that will be valuable to us when we talk to our customers about the challenges they face in decarbonizing. Okay, so it's a project that is already engaging our customers. And what I've also noticed, for example, on Yammer, uh, a lot of uh, employees are getting engaged and it's something that gets them going. And it's one of the single pages on Yammer that I can see updates every single day. Somebody's suggestion to go to work on a bicycle, uh, electrical bikes, uh, ditching the... Plastic utensils in cafeterias, many crazy ideas come out. I absolutely love it. Yeah, exactly. You're so right. And it's such a good uh, reflection also of the of the local level engagement that is also needed. So so right. So I just talked about what we do from the from the core team and the sort of program management level. We have to drive the big work streams, which are, are tricky and difficult and all of that. Right. But everyone can contribute already at their own site, or they can even get in touch with us and see how they can help on some of the the main work streams, right? But very simply, all of us go to work in some sort of facility where we use energy, we generate waste, and we get to work in one way or the other. There's already something there that can be done. And it's one of the the coolest things I've experienced uh, since taking on this job in, in February this year, 
is, is how employees have engaged so fast and with so much energy and just you know, forming groups locally to see what could be done, to challenge and work with the facility management. Can we t- tune our, our ventilation systems or climate controls or you know, whatever it might be? And all of that, it's exactly right. And it's exactly what we need also to, to deliver this because we're not you know, the, th- the three people core team. We're not going to be able to, to travel around to each uh, GE site and help turn off the lights. I mean, things have to happen locally and be owned locally. On your, on your way, when starting this project, it might have been an idea that was ahead of its time. How did you manage to communicate and persuade the management that is a right way to go? That took me quite some some time. So I think I probably um, told the story and proposed the idea, well, almost for a decade, if I'm really honest with myself. Because I, when I started in LM, it was already in my mind that, that it must, must be possible to do something that, that could tie the, the vision of the company more directly into how we operated ourselves. Uh, but you're right, I was a bit ahead of my time um, with that. And so I've gone through some phases of frustration and learning, I think, in trying to make other, others believe that that was the right thing to do and also get the opportunity to actually outline what it would require. Because it, it, I spent quite some time learning with the, you know, external experts and others what it actually meant and how we could do it as a business, what kind of opportunities it would bring, what would it potentially cost us, and all of those things, right? I needed to get to a point where I actually had a leader, a CEO, who who firmly believed that too. But one thing that I've done, and which is easy to look back on when you realize and get the chance to reflect on on how you got to a certain point, was I know that, that I have consistently been able to tell the story about why having the compelling arguments for why this was right for us in so many ways. So for the improvement of business processes, becoming more efficient, becoming more aware and transparent in how we operate, which gives uh, opportunities for improving. And for the conversations we could have with our various stakeholders in terms of saying, yes, of course, we also power our own operations with renewable energy. It's in our, you know, it's in our vision and reason for being. And, and for the employee engagement and for tapping into that uh, passion and f- energy that's in all those people, because a lot of us come to work you know, with a motivation partly driven by contributing to something that's a bit bigger than, than making money, although it's great and we have to make money, obviously, right? But the, the purpose is, is such a powerful motivational factor. So being able to highlight the benefits of doing something like this and also the leadership that it would be because you as you said I was a bit ahead of my time I sort of I saw an opportunity to be first all of that combined was helpful in convincing various stakeholders along the way and some of them I really had to talk to many 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 times Um, but you know gradually you see you make progress and also helped by the world around us and you know the increasing focus on the fact that we need to to decarbonize the way the world works basically to to have a proper planet for our kids and grandchildren as well so telling the story being able to articulate the big why again and again and adjust it to the person in front of you that's one of the uh, the main things that I've done and that I continue to do because that's both for getting people on board but it's also to maintain their interest and engagement. 
Yes, it sounds like communication was a crucial element here. And listening to you uh, talking about things like energy, efficiency, process, one would think that not having an engineering background would be a disadvantage for this position. But maybe you coming from a communication background was actually something that made it easier or made it happen faster just through your uh, ability to tell the story and tell the why. I actually, I, I think that. I, I honestly believe it has been one of the main contributing factors to us getting traction because it's great that you have experts and you need to have experts in energy efficiency and all sorts of other things. And I'm blessed to be surrounded with people like that who are much more technical than I am. But but what, I, what I'm good at is probably being able to, to talk to others then who are not experts and explain, again, why do we do this and what is it contributing to? How is it linked to all of our sort of business, strategic business interests? And that you need, you need to, to sort of have that to get proper grip, you know, in the organization. It's, it's not enough that it's only in EHS exercise or, you know, even sort of uh, just in operations. You, you have to have a wider sort of support for something like this because it is actually more than you know it's it's a really comprehensive overhaul in a way or scrutiny of of how we operate and you're not allowed to do that if you can't explain people why it makes sense it's it's really that simple at the end of the day how do you you talk to many different groups and stakeholders how do you adapt to a certain audience you said that was very important yeah so part of any successful communication, it always starts by understanding your audience. So who do you want to communicate to? What is their situation and their pre-knowledge of whatever you need to tell them? What is their interest and what affects them? Where, where will they actually feel whatever you're doing, if at all? Right? That's important to, to start with because then you can sort of target your, your story to fit that. And, and all the people who need to sort of make decisions around a program like mine, they're very busy. <laughs> and they, are, they have a million other things. So you quite quickly learn to get to the point fast. So that's, that's certainly one thing that, that applies, I think, also generally. It's always good to very, very briefly have, this is what this is about. So like a little executive summary, if you will, if, if we think about it as an email or an elevator pitch, be very clear about what you're talking about. What's the topic here and what do I want to get out of this uh, communication? Because very often you will either need you know, approval, accept or support or you know, need them to do something. And that's, of course, the other thing you will need to, to be aware of when you start your communication. What is my desired outcome and how do I ensure that I get that outcome after my, my few minutes uh, of attention with this key stakeholder? So get to the point, list quite clearly, this is what I need or, you know, what's, what's at stake. And then finally, what is required from the person that you're talking to? So that, that I apply constantly, I would say. And what happens if you get a bad reaction or you get a negative answer? How do you deal with, with roadblocks? How do you deal with saying that you just don't know the answer at that time? Well, that depends, right? It depends on how much time you have to, to deliberate. But uh, roadblocks, well, we all face those, right? And if, if I need to communicate a problem and I need help, well, then, then that is what I need to sort of outline, right? So the, 
it's about facts. It's about getting your facts right. You, you can't know everything, obviously, and you don't always know how to solve a problem, but you can prepare and you can understand your challenge. So you can look at what, what is actually the situation here. What has caused the problem? What's the root cause? Is there anything we can do about it? Who do I need to engage to become wiser on how we solve it? And so I would always go into a conversation around problems and roadblocks with at least an idea of how we would need to try to solve it. Right? So, so you, you try to be constructive always so it doesn't become uh, complaining or just sort of a negative <laughs> exchange about, oh, this is so difficult. Right? You, you need to somehow help progress it to something constructive, something that you can act on. That would be always sort of a, uh, a good piece of advice, I would say. Yeah, you always seem so relaxed when you, when I talk to you. But do you, do you ever get stage fright? Do you ever get nervous when you have to talk to the management? Are you ever afraid of something bad happening? <laughs> something bad! What's your mindset? <laughs> I want to be part of your they mindset. Are, right? They are just people, first of all. They're very, very bright people. But at the end of the day, we are all here to do something that we, are, we share a, a mission for this business. And, and they just happen to be the ones who make the decisions. And you are there to help them make the good decisions because you will be there for a reason, right? You come with a certain piece of knowledge or something they need to be able to do what's best for the company. So, so I think I've... Of course, I get nervous. I, of course, uh, stage fright. Well, I don't know, not so much, but it's because I feel uh, confident around what I need to talk about. If I don't, I will be really nervous and I will not do very well. So, of course, there's a lot of, about preparation here and feeling you know your, your subject. Um, but but mostly, I think it's it's really just having that that clear sense that you, you're talking to people who want to do good things and they're there because they actually have the, the power and the opportunity to do good things and you have an opportunity when you're in front of them to influence their decisions and that's something not to be missed, right? And, and usually that opportunity that sort of trumps my nervousness. So I, I tend to get very excited when I'm about to do so I have quarterly reviews with the, the CEO and progress of my of my program and of course I'll be sort of a little bit nervous uh, before that but I will have prepared like mad um, but um, when I then get into the meeting I usually get very focused and quite clear because I have very limited time with him I know I have to get to the point and I know I have, of course, prepared and also know that I need to get something out of that meeting. So usually I will have one or two things that I that are my desired outcomes. And so I just I'm really focused on making sure that we get to that point where I have a decision or, you know, whatever it is that I need from him for a given thing. And so so that usually comes before the nervousness. It's 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 just the passion to get stuff done. So confidence in preparation is yes. the key. Absolutely. If we are uh, very young in our careers, engineers who are just learning, how do we assert our confidence uh, in certain topics and our knowledge and talk about uh, our achievements to our network uh, without sounding pompous or being arrogant? <laughs> That's a good question. I love that question, actually, because generally... 
I, um, I really think that being afraid of bragging is not helping everyone. But, but bragging is such a, a loaded word, right? But, but we need to have a culture, and I think we should try to, to actively nurture a culture where it's just encouraged and appreciated that people celebrate successes and share what they're good at. And so there are a few ways of, of doing that with, without, in my view at least, sounding like you're bragging. So of course it's about facts. It's about clearly being able to articulate, I've done this, I did it this way, and this is why it's important. But then the next thing you can do, which will make it also relevant for others, is to offer something, you know, some insights that you learned that you can see would benefit others if they want to try something similar or if they, you know, are interested in getting into that field that you're knowledgeable about. So offer, offer your knowledge and your insights. Be a resource. That's that's certainly one way of sort of also branding yourself and being becoming known for for something so there's a part which is about the the knowledge right or the topic your area of expertise that that you are interested in passionate about and where you actually have some you know more knowledge than most people that's that's one thing you can actively try to develop and the other thing is then what's the behavior that you want to be known for so how do you interact with other people how do you share that knowledge are you always curious or and also sort of uh, interested in learning and, and getting feedback from others and on, on the topic, even though you, you might feel you're becoming quite an expert. I think what most people who, are, who successfully engage and also position themselves as, as being go-to people are the ones who are able to, to humbly accept that there's so much more that they can learn. And so that that's always a good starting point for engaging others, and then then you will certainly avoid that uh, accusation of of bragging. I think so. So maintaining a, a bit of of humbleness, um, I would always do that um, as one of the of the ways to avoid being perceived as bragging. So we we are often just an individual in a large company, and how do we make sure our voice is heard? That's a good question because it depends again on what you want to achieve. So, so you, we, we don't all have to have our own radio channel and broadcast to the world, right? So it's about relevance. Again, be aware of who you want to be known with. Who are the key stakeholders for you that you would really like for them to, to know what you do and they can maybe even help you in your career? That, that's, that's one thing, right? Because that, that will certainly um, well, give you some guidance as to where you should try to uh, ex- expose yourself. Because otherwise, I mean, of course, we have, we have company-wide channels and you can try to get into to the newsletters and all of that, but I'm, not sure, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not necessarily what you mean. What's important is, is becoming aware of, of where, where you need to, or you would like to be in the company. What kind of positions, what kind of areas would you like to work with, and then understanding who are the key stakeholders who can influence and get me there. And then you, of course, then you can sort of start to to try to make them aware of what you do, but obviously it has to somehow be relevant for them. So so again, it it will always come back to, I think, performance and the the actual work that you're contributing to, making sure that you, you can direct that towards your your goals of where you want to be later on, if at all possible. 
Um, I think the, the fact that you're in the Edison program already gives you quite some exposure and some opportunities for, for being exposed to a, a wide group of people across the business. So that's already a great starting point. Those talent programs are, are pretty effective, um, it seems. Yeah, you got me talking to you. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. <laughs> and then, of course, you have, you, know, you, have, you have social media and you have all of those sort of personal channels at your disposal. That, that where you can actually engage quite a lot also directly if you're on Twitter for instance you have access to all sorts of people quite quite directly but it really depends again on what you want to achieve being famous if you will just for being famous doesn't really make sense I think in a company but network by the way that's always imp important I've done that a lot and that's that's the way I work I, I can't help it actually it's just it's it's my um sort of genuine curiosity to understand how things work and and who influence stuff i'm i always want to learn that so i've reached out now out now also to colleagues in other ge businesses to see who works with sustainability programs i'm sure there are opportunities for collaborating or at least learning something along the way and then so that's directly relevant for me of course but it's also an investment in you know, my potential future in GE, because I, I'm, I'm, of course, also keen to figure out what could be next for me at some point. So, so, you know, networking, and you don't always know who will become important later on, but, but at least you can try to direct your, yeah, your outreach, at least to, to people who you think could, could be helpful along the way. As this is a podcast initially intended for Edison engineers, we're trying to circle it back to the program. And for this, Lena, can you tell us what you actually know about it? I know there are brilliant young people who know stuff <laughs> that I certainly don't. So it's more like, like uh, the, the potential uh, leaders of the future and with some uh, clear technical background. And then I know that my dear boss, Daniel Merfeld, is, is one of the key sponsors for the program. But uh, coming from LM Wind Power, I, I didn't really know a lot about it. It was sort of a bit random, I think, that I learned about it, that it even existed. So what do you think, what can we do to make it more, uh, let's say, company known? Even though it's an old GE program, what can we do to make it more known in daughter companies like LM, for example? Well, the most important is, of course, to get out there. So when you have your rotations and your assignments, you need to, to go into those businesses, the, the newer ones that were acquired maybe more recently into to GE. Yes, that's that's your, your strongest uh, way of, of engaging. Because when, when, you know, when people like me, when we meet you, we immediately, immediately think, hey, that's cool. We want to work with these people. Because obviously to be in the Edison program, you have to be quite bright, have some, some proven capabilities. And I think you, you will be in high demand if people just knew you were there. Actually, if we do well, there is a practice to highlight our achievements in a quarterly newsletter to the management. So you do have some pretty good exposure, but I guess you could you could get them to highlight um, your credentials more to the individual businesses. But there's so much communications in G, so I think you're you're competing with a lot of other information that uh, that needs to come out there. So you have to have something really cool to communicate. That is true. We do get a lot of newsletters. 
But another thing that I was curious about is how do we adapt our communications regionally as we are a multinational company? You said you'll be traveling in the next weeks. Will you be adapting your approach? Like we started saying with the um, when we talked about communications before, it's, it's very much, you always start by trying to understand your audience. And that applies, of course, as well across cultures. And of course, you can't know everything, but that's, that's somewhat a, um, a strength, I guess, or something that can guide your behavior a little bit. Because again, I think you, you gain a lot if you are a bit humble and, and listen a lot and try to really observe uh, how people interact and behave and try to understand some of the cultural norms that will shape how you know a culture in a workplace is within GE. It can differ very, very much, um, I'm sure. So I'm going to China, for instance, uh, next week, and I know I will have to be very... I will need to speak a lot slower. They're just so very practical things. I will need to try to really listen and, and ask very direct questions to make sure that, that people have understood me and that, that I also understand them. So, so just double checking that when, when I hear a response to something that, that I really also understood what it was that, that they told me. Right. So that's a very again a very sort of practical thing you can always do. Repeat the answer you get in the in sort of your own words and see if that, that actually made sense. Um, and then well, the most important thing I think across cultures is is really just to have that that respect and and not try to uh, feel that that what you're coming from is is superior in any way to to how they do things. So there, there can be all sorts of reasons why you know things are not said or you know they're said in a certain way or whatever. There, there, there's so many different things influencing how we interact as people within cultures. So again, being humble and listen would be my sort of uh, primary things. Try to understand in advance a little bit what uh, what I'm going to face and, and hear from others who've been there, what, what's been successful for them, um, I think would be would be really useful. And then I think generally in, in GE and in any other business, by the way, I just see so much opportunity for better communication. So in our daily collaboration, we all work with many different cultures, I think, um, and and online a lot, right? We don't we we don't always get to to go out and meet people in person, but but I see so many examples of emails, you know, where we just we'll just ask people, can you send me this, or you know, do that, or we need to do this, but but very rarely, or at least I think that's one of the potential areas for improvement. People take the time to explain why and say, this is actually really important because so that when I receive that request to do something, I actually see the point of it and I can be motivated to do it in a way that I wouldn't be if I just get, you know, can you please do that? At least that's, that's how I work. And I think that's probably a pretty basic human way of, of uh, interacting but but still also probably because we're busy and probably because we think it's more efficient we don't why would we spend time on really explaining the why but honestly it's it's really going to save us time down the road and you know we can all become more efficient that way yeah, it's all about receiving and giving we cannot just get information if we haven't given the reason why we want no, exactly and say thank you simple things Thank you. You really Thank you helped and me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Basic manners. 
really should apply more. And following up so that when you have submitted something, getting the feedback that it was received and used for something is actually motivating. So those kinds of, just it's just small things. I really try to be conscious of that. Also when, you know, working with, with people, I mean, I've, I've, I came into G in, in 2017 as part of, of LM and now moved into this new role in, in February. So I haven't had that much time, but still, so I work with a lot of people that I didn't know before. I've had to establish that, that relation quite quickly. And, and, and so I'm just extremely aware that I try to, to recognize uh, people's contribution and you know that I spend the time on saying, you know, I, I really needed to do this because, and this is what you're going to contribute to, and also highlight their um, achievements and their support to their leaders if if that's appropriate, right? Because it's it's just the, the recognition piece is really really important if if you want to to motivate people to do something, and and also again also back to one of your previous questions around how. Um, you create a brand for yourself or you create a useful network. Uh, being willing to, to um, show your support to others or recognizing others is, is actually a really powerful thing. It's, it's, good, it's a good thing to do for many, many reasons. Do you think technology has impeded our communication more than it has helped? Uh, do, we, do we tend to hide behind our screens more and not ah. show... Yeah, I think a little bit maybe. At least, you know, we could be better at using video. And sometimes I really sort of force it to, to some of, of the meetings I attend because it, there is definitely something there, right? When you're in a conference call and you can't see people, you end up doing all sorts of other things. And it's not because you don't want to be in the call necessarily. It's just, it's just so easy and we're just so human and easily distracted, right? So there is something there. There is something about how we use the technology we have available to us and the discipline we, uh, we deploy uh, around how we use it. It's tricky, though. But uh, I guess we can all be a, a good example there. Speaking of examples, Lene, do you have any advice for Edison? Starting the program or just finishing the program? The one golden Edison advice. The golden Edison advice. Stay curious, be brave and challenge the organization because you are really bright and you are in the Edison program for a reason. So you have something to contribute. Don't be afraid to speak your opinion, to engage and challenge how we work and think. Awesome. That's it. That's it. Very simple. Yep. You have to keep it yes. simple. Absolutely. Thank you, Lena, so much for taking the time to be with us this week, especially as our first podcast guest. And we wish you good luck with getting us even more. Thank green. you so much for the opportunity. It was really fun. Awesome. Talk to you Talk soon. Talk to you soon. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another set of tips and tricks from Lena's diary directly to your Edison competency model. Please let us know how you find the show and what other questions you might have for Lene. Of course, feedback is widely appreciated so we can build this show further than the proof of concept. Lastly, as you are a group with a lot of great ideas, please do not be afraid to communicate them to the world. And until next time, shine bright!